going to be like the guy the american who <laughs> was raised by guy. asian kung fu martial like, artists it might as well be me i guess uh, uh, that makes me like daredevil i'm only blind i'll be the immortal cilantro fist <laughs> <laughs> and welcome <laughs> to the down the front podcast how's it going guys hey, hey. what's up we are yeah. here we are back we are excited well, some of us maybe, to talk about our feature episode of we are going to review the entire series of The Defenders, Netflix's newest series. You got Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Daredevil, The Hand, bunch of people, bunch of people names I'm forgetting because there was too many characters. But before we get into all that, and before we start hating on this, or loving on this, who knows, I'm going to toss it to one of my best friends. I grew up with him. They have a great time together. Blue, it. How's it going, man? Yo, what's happening, guys? Uh, I'm doing fantastic right now. Never better. Uh, that's because I'm currently drinking a new Belgium fat tire Belgian style ale. Stuff's good. Mm. Which is pretty solid. Yeah. It's like a better Belgium. Belgium does some good stuff. Yeah. They do. I love their Voodoo IPA, but that's like 19%, and I really felt like waking up for work tomorrow. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> adulthood. Um, I I feel like I'm pretty terrible for this because I literally only watch, like, the episode of the week, um, whether it's a movie or a TV show. I've literally only watched Game of Thrones. I was hanging out with my grandfather all weekend. He was telling me about... 1930s Ireland, which was pretty interesting, honestly. It was, it was good. Nice. Cool. I mean, well, it's always great to see you. Uh, we go way, way back, so thanks so much. Uh, above him, I have the mouth of the South. My boy, Mr. Brylin. How's it going, Brylin? Not Can't complain. It's going pretty well over here. Good to, good to, good to know. Good to know. What, uh, what you <laughs> sipping on? What you been watching? Uh, I'm sticking with the, the tried and true gentleman Jack. I nice. did a pretty much of a big pour. I don't know if it'll be a double, but big boy pour. I think it'll, I think it'll get me through the night, which is good. Uh, what I've been watching recently is I watched an anime movie re- uh, called Blame with an exclamation point at the end. Uh, it's by Hiroyuki Sashida. Uh, if you don't know who he is, some of his previous works have been uh, Knights of Sidonia and Ajin Demon Human. Uh, he's also going to be doing the new Godzilla anime as well. And Blaine kind of has the same visual style that he's known for. So a really nice mix of traditional animation and 3D modeling, uh, just to bend the perspective a little bit. And I found this story to be really neat, too. It's uh, pretty much about it's one of those post-apocalyptic tales where uh, humans are trying to survive and they meet a strange wanderer that may or may not be someone that's going to help them out. And I think it does a really good job of talking about some things like what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to actually exist? 
said, a lot of those very nice existential themes that animes are very much known for. Uh, it's definitely worth watching. It's only about 90 minutes long. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I know even previously we talked a bit about Ajin, and we talked about, like, I think we, you talked about it, uh, Knights of Sidonia, a long time ago. I know that's, like, one of the, uh, those styles just, just didn't work for me, but, I, I mean, I may try to at least give it a shot, because something, anything to do with anime and Godzilla sounds dope as F, so that'd be pretty cool. Yep. Uh, so thanks, as always. I like your RoboCop shirt, and great to see your face. Thank you. All the way up from somewhere in New York... We got our boy, the favorite Michael of this group, Mocha Mike. How's it going? Hey, guys. How y'all doing tonight? I'm fine uh, with that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the favorite Michael of my heart, Blewett. Aw. Um, but yeah, so as far as what I'm drinking tonight, um, following up with our last show's kind of continued trend, I'm just drinking straight liquor tonight. Um, I got myself a nip here, a little nip of Johnny Walker Red Label. That's the good <laughs> stuff. It's a blended scotch whiskey. I have exactly 50 milliliters, and hopefully that's enough to get me blasted by the end of this podcast. Um, <laughs> as far as Mike, Mike I, hasn't eaten in three days. Uh, it's going to go right through him. Specifically, <laughs> to make this one nip. Yeah. <laughs> Time to <You're> drop. Really, <laughs> and Mocha, we can see you on camera, and your camera's kind of shaking. Do you live near Midland Towers? <laughs> no, I don't, but I do record this uh, from my bed, so if my screens are shaking, that means my beds are rocking. Yeah! Um, as for what I'm watching, or what I've been watching as of late, a uh, good friend of mine uh, from Boston, Bobby, introduced me to this show called People Just Do Nothing. It's on Netflix. It is a British mockumentary of these wannabe rappers um, who are trying to host their own pirate radio station called Corrupt FM, and it's very typical British comedy. It's really dry humor about these sort of like bumbling idiots who are really just dumbasses, but they're trying their best to be like cool, um, you know, underground rappers. Um, but it follows them in their, day their daily lives and just shows all the different ways that things, you know, they're ruining their own lives. Um, if you like British humor in any sort of way, which isn't everybody's thing, but if you do like British humor, I highly recommend watching this show. It had a lot of a lot of great laughs in it for me. Cool. Um, and I wouldn't have known about it unless somebody else told me. So people just do nothing on Netflix. Check it out. Yeah, thanks. That sounds awesome. I'm, I'm always down to kind of check check out anything to do with kind of British mockumentary. I think it's also, they're always pretty funny. Uh, and I am Warren, your host of this evening. I am sipping on a red blend, surprise, surprise, from, uh, this one's called Fog Mountain from California. It's called a field blend. I'm not entirely sure exactly what's the differentiation between that, uh, but super smooth, uh, very good. Um, I would say I ate this with a steak sub today, and it was quite lovely. It's quite lovely. I had a nice time. And I watched a little football, and the Dolphins were losing, so it was also very nice. Um, as to war for what I've been watching, um, I actually saw... Uh, Moonlight and La La Land in the last 24 hours. So I figured that was actually pretty cool to see the both movies that were like battling head for head of kind of the best uh, movies of last year's Oscars. And, you know, I thoroughly enjoy both those movies. I have a lot of bias towards La La Land because it was a musical and it like kind of pulled at my heartstrings a little bit more, a lot, a lot. But I at least thoroughly enjoyed Moonlight so much. Um, even the Marshana Lee's character should have been in that movie way more. I understand why he wasn't. I just love the subtlety of 
I, th- I think it, it like the director Barry Jenkins really showed a great way to 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 really capture and visualize how somebody is hurting and there's a lot of pain um, that's happening there and you just kind of just like it's like you drop somebody right into the life and figure out what happened with his character as uh, from a, a ground uh, when he was a little boy to when he was you know a teenager to now he's kind of a grown man like um, you know late twenties silly thing and really try to see his progression and. Um, some of the things that he chose to do and some of the things that he was kind of forced to do. Uh, so I really, really enjoy Moonlight. That's actually on Amazon Prime, um, and it's free. If you do have Amazon Prime, you go just watch that. Uh, the movie, I think, is about two hours. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. it. It really was a great movie just to kind of wind down and just talk about, like, just human struggle and what people go through every day. Um, so that's Moonlight on Amazon Prime. La La Land is actually on iTunes. I bought that. Um, that movie was also phenomenal. I think both of them are phenomenal movies as well. Um, I just love the directors behind both of those actual works. They really, really... I think they enjoy capturing the story, but it's a vastly different movie. One's really kind of up here, and then kind of tur- takes a turn, and the other one really, really starts at a pretty dramatic sense and kind of takes you where it needs to go. Um, so those are uh, the two movies that I've been watching. Yeah, what's up, Maka? Here's my hot take for the night. La La Land was a pile of hot garbage and did and was super overrated. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, you can uh, you can be wrong. The only redeeming thing about it was Ryan Gosling's face, and that can only take you so far. Uh, no, I mean that can take me everywhere. So there you go. <laughs> Booyah. Uh, so that was what I've been watching. Me and Mocha are probably going to argue all night, so I'm super excited about this review. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's talk about uh, a few of these things, uh, but let's talk about like our overall feelings. Uh, some things that we were excited about before we get into our um, kind of spoiler section, and we're going to give you a pause for that. So before we get there, let's talk about some hype. I really didn't re- I didn't realize that the defenders was coming out this soon probably because I'm a sheltered baby um, and I don't watch any trailers or anything um, so I'm definitely gonna kind of give it off to you guys of you know what are some things that you were really excited about something that you were kind of nervous about before we uh, we you actually saw the defenders and now that this out like just some overall feelings and thoughts of the show Brylan? Uh yeah so I would say before I saw Iron Fist, that I was super hyped for the Defenders, almost to the point where I was more hyped than uh, for the next Avengers, because even though I enjoyed like Age of Ultron, that the next couple of movies that came out from Marvel was kind of like your standard Marvel thing, and I was kind of enjoying I was enjoying the TV shows more because they had they were going against that grain of the standard Marvel blueprint that they have for success. Uh, and Iron Fist hit, and it was a mix of good and mediocre stuff. Didn't really have an established storyline. Really ended on a weird point. Um, but um, I was still hoping that Defenders would be a more positive note. Huh. Yeah, I, I think the the one thing I was really hoping to just somehow I know Jessica Jones didn't quite work for me. Uh, Iron Fist didn't really work for me so I'm like it was two for two and I'm like half and half so I really wanted to to have like a a coming back and kind of redeeming section of it and that was the one thing that I was really pumped about is hey just redeem this so I can enjoy I want to enjoy the characters that I didn't enjoy their own shows like Jessica Jones like um, you know uh, Iron Fist so that was the biggest thing that I just really wanted to see something new kind of 
now it's a convergence with everybody's here together. Like, really kind of show us where this is going to go. Because this is like the... Um, uh, the B B plus C C plus team of the Avengers. So where are you gonna go with that? That'd be kind of pretty cool. So yeah. as someone like who I I loved Jessica Jones, I thought that was the best one. Um, I really liked Daredevil and Luke Cage. I thought was pretty pretty solid too. Um, I think the best part about the Defenders, like any of these shared worlds, is seeing them interact for the first time. Like there's. I, I will defend Ultron. I know a lot of people give it a lot of hate, but I will defend Ultron. That being said, there is nothing like all of them coming together on the helicarrier in the first Avengers and seeing all these characters that you spent a couple of years with previously talking to each other. And I think Netflix does a great job of drawing out like more extreme characterizations because they have longer to spend with it. You know, you have two hours to spend with Steve Rogers and half of that movie has to be with either Peggy Carter or Red Skull, you know, and so you get you get very minimal development, whereas a 13-episode Netflix, you really learn who that person is and you, you learn what makes them tick and what makes them not tick with other people. Mm-hmm. And then when you see these other shows, you're like, oh my God, that's not going to work with this ex other person, I really want to know how they meet up. And so I was uh, like Browns. I was pretty hyped for it. It, uh, kind of got killed by iron fist and then the Thor trailer came out and then I forgot what the defenders was. Uh, <laughs> and like, it was like Thor came out and then iron man hit the theater, uh, not iron man, Spider-Man hit the theaters. And it was like, all right, well, hang on. What's happening in August. <laughs> nice. Logo. what you got? I've been really, really excited, like practically counting down the days this year to the launch of Defenders. Um, I definitely think I'm a bit, I'm on a bit of a different level than each of you guys when it comes to just like Marvel comic nerdiness. Um, and so I was really, I'm always really excited for any new content by them. But especially like was said earlier, seeing these varying plot lines of these characters to come together to deal with something bigger than themselves. Um, and I was really looking forward to that. And I think that, you know, the thing that I was looking forward to most about those characters coming together was them making up for some of the uh, qualities that they lacked in themselves on their solo runs. Um, and I think that's most apparent with Danny Rand. He was much more tolerable as a character when he wasn't the only main character. Um, but I think that came out a lot more, you know, in other ways. Seeing Luke Cage and Jessica Jones together, like ad- actually adventuring together. Um, you know, reminded me of the stark differences between those two, both in terms of their personalities, their overall friendliness factor, and just seeing things like, you know, Luke being really, like, proper and trying to protect everyone, and Jessica, you know, just taking beers off homeless people on the subway, you know, it was really cool to see that contrast. Uh, so I'm definite, so that was probably the biggest thing that I was looking for, and I think this show delivered on that. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that moment. I think a lot of the moments that I did do enjoy, we're gonna move into our, um, you know, our wins in a moment. Uh, but just for, for that, because this is like a non-spoiler, but the moments where characters are being themselves and it's like one person's being super proper, the other one's kind of like worried, and the other one says, "Fuck it, I need a drink." It's been a long week. It's been a long week for everybody, you know. But she kind of kept saying that. I thought that was. I, I really like. I really enjoy that character development, and we start seeing how these characters are 
kind of interacting with each other in this other universe that's now all weirdly blended together. And, uh, like, those moments, especially in the, you know, the restaurant, um, that was another very, very impactful moment because you get a lot of dialogue and a lot of back and forth that you don't need fighting, you don't need anything. We just want to see these characters kind of live together like uh, Blue was talking about. Like, some of the funniest things, I think, from the Iron Man or the Avengers or really any other movie is when these two characters or characters that normally aren't in the, the same universe talk to each other and they talk about something that is just very interesting or something like that. It's also kind of pretty cool. So it's Yeah, cool. I think the, the thing that Marvel does best is we've seen team-up movies. Uh, we've seen solo movies. We've never seen team-up movies after long periods of solo movies. You know, like, you'll get Han Solo and Luke Skywalker hanging out together, where both of those characters could get solo movies on their own. Um, And then, of course, we've seen a million Spider-Man movies, which, on their own, are are pretty cool. Where Marvel, I think their best thing is developing these characters and then having them meeting up after an appropriate amount of time of learning who they are. And I I don't think any other studio has gotten that yet. Yeah. well, maybe we'll see what Universal does with their like monsters thing because it seems like they're truly following Marvel's path, even though the first one sucked. Yeah. So it's you know it's like it's like you got to make good movies, but then you also have to make a lot of good movies and then have the team up. It's it's a hard path to follow. You don't have to. You can just be like, you know, I'm not. We're not going to mention this. Uh, well, you can make you can make the emoji movie and make a couple million bucks, and then yeah. merchandise it for a couple hundred million dollars, and then you know there you go. And but there's already a confirmed emoji movie too next summer, so there you go. I oh, hate myself so I'm much. And with that, we're gonna go into a break. We're gonna talk, so we're gonna actually get into spoilers for the defenders here. So if you haven't seen it, I would say just take a pause, go sip on some wine or a nip, uh, just talk about how beautiful Michael Moreno's face is, and uh, we'll be right back. We'll see you soon. I gotta go find a homeless man. Hang on. Welcome back. We are back, and we're going to be getting into all the actual juicy details of reviewing The Defenders on Netflix with all the beautiful stars. I'm still with Brylin, Mocha, Blewett, and myself. I am Warren, your host for this evening. I'm really pumped to actually start with one of the people who are probably the most excited to talk about this, so I'm going to toss it over here to Mocha. Tell me about some of the things that you enjoyed or the wins of The Defenders on Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about it. So, the... Biggest win, I think, for the Defenders overall was the fact that they managed to take four disparate characters and bring them together for an ensemble show, but still within that greater ensemble, drive each of their own individual character points forward and set themselves up well for future seasons. And I think that's really impressive considering the fact that this show was only eight episodes long, and each episode was only an hour at most. Um, So... 
surprisingly enough, following on each character's individual storyline didn't feel like it was cramped and jammed in, which I fully expected this to that to be the case, even if it did have extra episodes. Um, so that was really cool to see. It felt really natural transi- transitioning between each character's individual scenes until we got up to the big the big meetup. Uh, so I just think that they really executed well on what could have easily spun out of control and gotten super convoluted. Yeah. Um, yeah, one cool thing I want to mention about um, those transitions is they actually did a really cool uh, visual and musical tone for each one, mm-hmm. where it went back to, like, what was the theme for that series for each character? Like, Luke Cage, Luke Cage had most Def playing in the background. It was all, like, yellow tint, and Jessica Jones went to their purplish tint and had more of that Norris-style uh, musical score. And it was really cool to see that type of jump cut intertwined into this show yeah anytime i hear yeah. this are most deaf especially i was like oh okay that's pretty, kind of pretty cool i, I love the jumping around that was uh that was the moment i did like the, the music they use in, in that moment yeah that's a good point not only did they do a good job of identifying the characters via their musical cues and transitions and keeping them authentic to their own themes they also did a really good job of keeping each character's reactions to any given moment super consistent um, with who they were with the personalities that we saw develop over the various seasons of their, of their own shows you know Luke Cage Luke Cage's reaction to the different events Jessica Jones reaction to almost every scene uh, you know they all reacted the way we've been shown they should and that didn't change just because they made a group of super friends they were still themselves while working together um, which again goes into that whole notion of like it was a really you know fine line to step across and trying to make this ensemble happen without just meshing everything together messily. Um, speaking of Jessica Jones, in my opinion, she continues to be the best thing about the entirety of the Netflix series uh, or the Netflix Marvel series. She is the mo- most unique character in terms of her delivery and her personality. Um, and I absolutely loved every single scene she was in, whether it was being uh, like completely like unwilling to believe what was going on when Danny Rand started talking to them about um, like evil ninjas and dragon powers to just being herself uh, at the end game of the, sh- the show. She has this great line where um, they're getting ready to destroy the building and they're trying to figure out what's going to happen. And she goes, uh, she says, I believe the line is, I haven't changed, like, can we just get this shit over with? I haven't changed my clothes since we started. <laughs> and like, it's just like such a like, good line. She's totally just wants to get back to doing, like not being bothered by people. Um, she's like a cat that's forced to play with a bunch of dogs. And I, I think that, that personality comes through throughout the entirety. I would say this, that Jessica Jones is the farthest character away from their superpowers. That uh, Luke Cage, I mean, they all have a secondary, you know, they all have superpower. They all have a secondary characteristic, which makes the shows great. Um, but then she is just so, her secondary character is so far away from her superpowers that they honestly don't even exist together, which is what made that whole moment when she held up the elevator even more impressive because you, you kind of like forget that she is super powered. Um, and so I really love that, that she doesn't, she she almost makes it seem like being super powered is an inconvenience to her hmm. and that that is the least important thing in her mind that she has super strength and is crazy, like she's pretty durable too. Um and that's, I think, what makes her the most interest, interesting character. Yeah. And if you want to talk about, like, like character development for each of these guys individually, that moment where Jessica jumps up and grabs the cable and saves Danny Rand and Luke Cage from plummeting back into that dark abyss, 
was her first time doing something truly heroic, um, like at all on screen since we've seen her. You know, her like Mike, like Lou was saying, her, her superpowers exist simply as a tool to further her own just personal life and to get her out of t- out t- tough situations. Um, and all of her first show was focused on her overcoming her own specific challenge, which was the Purple Man and the trauma that he instilled on her life, even though it intersected with other people. But that was the first moment where people were going to die and her immediate reaction was just to use her powers to save others. And I don't think we got at least as clear of an example of, of that sort of heroic, hero, heroicism from Jessica Jones at all throughout the rest of the, the show. Yeah, I mean, I was... And I guess, like, looking at and, like, hearing the way that you actually kind of look at it, Amoka, it, I really wanted more of, of that, though. I felt like she kind of only had that one moment, but I thought that was, like, that, that moment and a couple of like, sp- kind of sprinkled in there. Um, I thought that was cool. I thought that was a very awesome and uh, uh, very kind of the, each and every one of these characters had like a standout moment that was like uh, a big thing that th- this is awesome that they actually kind of be they're trying to fight for each other uh, instead of fighting for themselves or their own sort of personal goals and I think they they kind of find and sort of sort of slowly start figuring that out um, later on that I thought it was a pretty cool point yeah what's also really cool about Jessica Jones is when she's an investigator um, it's not just that oh let me google that and find like the hidden files or find like the name that connects everything. She does the down dirty old school way of investigation, like going through uh, the hall of records and looking up the different cards and stuff. I thought that scene was awesome. It just showed like how really cool she's actually, actually grown this skill. And it's not a skill that's just part of her. It's not natural. It's something that she actually developed over time and that, she is a really great investigator, even though she may have a terrible attitude when it comes to helping people uh, when this story first begins. She's smarter than she is stronger, and that's saying a lot, considering she can move a car with her bare hands. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, again, a lot of my a lot of my big wins for this show go into the individual characters and their relation. They're not only their relationships, but just how they portray themselves on screen. Um, and a big win for me is just the fact that we have Sigourney Weaver on this show. Um, she is a legend. She is a personal hero because when you want to talk about the greatest uh, heroines of film of all time, she is probably my number one. Um, and so while I do have a lot of issues with her character, I am just really excited to know that we have Sigourney Weaver in the MCU and that she was a part of this uh, this whole grand experiment. Yeah. I thought that was I was really I was really happy to see her. I'm always happy to see her in any sci-fi role at all. Like even if it doesn't like I mean I, I mean even the movie Paul that was kind of funny with the alien like yeah. that, that was still that was still fun to see her in. And anytime you see her, she's going to be kind of iconic. I just, I just wonder like I think we all appreciate seeing her because of Alien and because of just her being awesome. But I'm also wondering you know if people that's a bit younger than us who may not have seen Alien, right? Or may have seen the newer Aliens, but she's not even in there. I wonder how their approach will be. You um, and her in the show, or did you just think of her as like another woman? So I, I also thought about that casting choice, but I, I was I was also spoiled that Sigourney Weaver was in the show. Didn't realize that. Somebody told me that right before I started watching. I was kind of bummed. I was like, ah, but it's okay. Spoilers happen. Yeah. Um, again, moving forward with the whole character-driven wins, um, I was really pumped 
as a Marvel fanboy to see Misty Knight lose her arm. Uh, I did not think that Netflix was going to go that route. I really honestly didn't. And I definitely didn't think it would happen during this show. I thought, oh, maybe at best it'll happen during Luke Cage season two. And I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine before I started episode seven, where I was just running through a list of frustrations that I had. And I was like, it's so cool seeing Misty here, but I'm so annoyed that we're never going to be able to see her lose her arm. And sure enough, two episodes later, in a really cool way, she goes to jump in front of Bakuto and stop him from decapitating Colleen Wing. And he just turns around and ninjas the shit out of her arm, which was probably the most ninja thing that he had done in that episode, in, in the season, in the series uh, to date. But yeah, he just flashes and cuts off her arm. And it's pretty gruesome. Like, you see the thing go flipping through the air, blood spurting everywhere. Um, and then she was down for the count for the rest of the series, uh, which wasn't that long. But, but still, I'm glad that they that they took her arm, and I'm glad that they have her set up in a hospital that happens to have some of the best technology at play, so that, I don't know, maybe she gets a metal arm to use in future seasons. Well, so, yeah, so that, uh, I would, I think I'm the only person, well, not the only person, I think there's a lot of us that were disappointed when she got shot in Luke Cage, and you're like, why didn't that shot knock her arm off? Not plausible, <laughs> but, like, why didn't it do it? And then I was also, the you know, I feel like I wasn't alone, which is a scary concept, when I was cheering that she got her arm knocked off. Like, I was like, oh, it <laughs> yeah. happened! Yeah! We're getting, we're getting the daughters! Like, this is sick! Uh, which is messed up, because the character lost her arm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a char- it's a point of the character's life that changes what she's going to be later on. Right. Yeah. We've been seeing with a lot of these non-powered characters um, throughout their individual seasons, but also in the Defenders itself, are starting to make the realization in their minds that if they're going to keep rolling with these new friends of theirs that do have powers, they're going to have to step their game up one way or another. We got that from Claire and Iron Fist training with Colleen so that she could you know, have some form of self-defense. Um, and we got that with Misty you know, trying her best to be helpful throughout this entire series and then just pushing her aside because she's just a normal person and things are a bit more complex than that. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we're starting to see that sort of development from all these non-powered characters that are really, really interesting and I want to see stick around in meaningful ways. Um, and yeah, in addition, I think that the ensemble and having characters, in more interesting characters around him, did amazing things for um, Danny Rand and the Iron Fist in this show. Um, he was more interesting and well... Um, well delivered in Defenders, and I think he was throughout all of the Iron Fist. Um, he still started each saying with saying, which each sentence with saying, "I am Danny Rand, the immortal Iron Fist," which does get old, even though it's kind of a joke. He did it much less this time. Yeah. Oh, he I did know it less, that. and they also joked about it, which I was yeah. glad because it was still <laughs> annoying. But at the end, when they're like, "We know," I was, I was like, "Ah, they know, they know." Yeah. But he was better this time around. I think Finn Jones is getting a better sense of who the character is. Um, but also, having characters like Luke Cage and Jessica Jones around him bring out the best. Um, we got to see a lot more of goofy, uh, silly Danny Rand um, in this in this series. And I think Finn Jones is really, really good at doing kind of aloof and goofy, friendly Danny Rand. More so than he is at doing serious, kick-ass Danny Rand. Um, and that aloof like and silly aspect is an important part of his character. Um, he is a fun-loving, like lovable character when he's around his friends, and that relationship between him and the rest of the defenders, especially Luke Cage, is key to making his character interesting down the road. Um, 
So one thing on that one, uh, I'll get, I'll introduce with a quick side story because um, this was one of my huge wins that Danny Rand needed Luke Cage to make that character work. Um, the entire time leading up to Iron Fist was the you know the more socially minded people were like, well, why didn't they cast an Asian person as like a you know a kung fu master? And you know me being me, I was like, I don't care like. Iron Fist is white in the, the movies for a very particular reason, and they didn't touch on that at all in Iron Fist. So that made it impossible to defend that aspect. And literally, his first meeting with Luke Cage, Luke Cage says, "I know white privilege when I I see it." Mm. And I think that the re for me, the reason that you couldn't cast an Asian person in this role is because. Again, we were talking about this earlier, where every single of these characters has the superpower, but they also have the social aspect that goes along with them, and that's what makes them worthwhile characters to follow. Danny Rand's worthwhile social aspect is the fact that he hasn't earned a single thing in his life, uh, being a billionaire and being kind of like the golden boy of Kunlun, and how he has to navigate that world and prove that he is worthy of, one, his family's riches, but two, the, the mantle of the Iron Fist. Uh, and so I think they tried to approach that more kind of in Iron Fist, but they didn't approach the social aspect at all. Or they, they kind of did, but it was really terrible. And seeing a really grounded character like Luke Cage growing up in Harlem, like a traditional, like, not the greatest neighborhood in New York City, and having him be able to say, like, hey, man, I've been on the streets. Like, I know I know white privilege. I know this privilege. You haven't had to work at anything at all and to create that friction from the very start of it and how they work through and become friends even though they have vastly different socioeconomic uh backgrounds was that's what made iron fist for me so he's not perfect he's he's still a little bit lagging but again to build off your point he was infinitely better because you could play on the, the social role that character has for the first time ever like he in the iron fist he was playing with other billionaires you know, it was him and the Meachums. Like, they all have more money than God. Um, and so you, like, you had to portray him against someone who was worse off to really understand what that character was. And it was beautiful to see that happen. Nice. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's really important to have those moments, especially between Danny Rand and Luke Cage, because this is one of the greatest friendships in Marvel history. And it's good to see those beginning scenes being sown here. This is really important to see these... Uh, social connections happen between Luke Cage and Danny Rand because they are one of the most uh, storied uh, friendships in Marvel history that it's good to see that at the end of this that they have mutual respect for one another and they're starting to like each other a bit but there's still room to grow in that relationship so it makes me really excited to see like if they ever get to a Heroes for Hire or the next Luke Cage or the next Iron Fist series uh, how are they going to continue to grow this friendship? And what are the challenges they're going to have? Yeah. And, you know, we see that sort of, that question of what is this relationship going to be like after the show is done? Um, when With other characters, too. We see that with Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. We got a really cool sort of completion of their, or a rather continuation of where they left off in Jessica Jones' show. Um, at the, in the last episode during the epilogue where Luke goes to visit her in a bar and like just tells her like we're good and I'm glad you're safe because I care about you um, and it's not like they don't like hug and promise to be best friends forever they just they could go on with their lives and it, that's exciting for me again as a fan because 
you know, the whole Claire and Luke relationship is cool. I dig it. But Luke and Jessica are the ones who went up together in the comics. Um, and they have, you know, a little superpowered baby. And that's like a, a pretty, like a big driving factor force in a lot of their stories in the comics. Um, and so even though they're not together now, I like the fact that they are um, sort of growing and developing their relationship over time, it seems like. Yeah, speaking of character relationships, I didn't think that I would be so interested in Daredevil and Jessica Jones. But when you think about it, Daredevil wants no one to know who he is, his alter ego. He's the only character. Like Everyone's pretty honest with who they are, and he has to wear a mask. Versus Jessica Jones, who's a private eye, who is very well trained in finding out the truth behind these people. And I thought a lot of their interactions and how they grew together from not really trusting each other to like, all right, well, let's do this as a professional thing to, all right, I guess I tolerate you. was a very interesting arc. Yeah, especially that scene when they're talking to the architect's daughter and she talks about a story about her, one of her closest friends that uh, grew up who had, whose boxer was a dad. She basically laid out Daredevil's origin story in front of her, uh, in front of that girl, and it just shocked uh, Matthew Margot. Yeah, was, yeah. I, like, I like that scene. That was a very powerful scene. Yeah, they did a really good job of just, like, in every piece of dialogue and every piece of interactions, really bringing out the most important facets of each individual character um, and maintaining consistency with that throughout. And that's easily something that could be, that could get pushed aside when you're dealing with larger problems you know we see that we saw it a bit in sometimes in the avengers movies you know the characters all react well but a lot of times their dialogue is just like typical it's like just being driven by the plot and not by who they are um except for characters like you know steve and tony who everything about them is driven by their personality in this show like all their actions and all their lives were driven by their personalities not by the plot itself um you know, like Jessica Jones is super resistant to everything that they're doing until the very end. She doesn't want to be a hero. She doesn't want to have to deal with any shit. She just wants to pay her rent. Um, and we see that by the end of it, that she sort of overcomes that. And that's a good character arc for her. And with Matthew Murdoch, we see him being resistant to opening himself up to these people because not only does he not want people to know who he is and be at risk of getting hurt, but also he doesn't want to take leadership of this group because he is still struggling against stick and the things that stick wanted from him and what matthew winds up doing here in taking lead of the defenders is exactly what stick always wanted for him but matthew murdoch realizes that it doesn't matter whether or not he is angry at stick for the way stick treated him it's the best thing to do to save lives is him stepping up and leading these people so each character had these really cool arcs that just came to fruition by the end of this uh, which is great because that's less time we have to waste during their next season of a show um, and we can get, just get right into new content and, you know, new enemies and new thrills and what have you. So, um, so yeah, the biggest win for this show was just doing some really impressive stuff with the individuals while keeping it a, um, an interesting dynamic for the ensemble. Cool. Uh, Brylin, Blewett, what else you got? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to add on to more of just like how Charlie Cox just brings it. An amazing daredevil to screen every time he uh, puts on the suit and when he's also in the lawyer suit as well. Um, Charlie Cox is able to just balance the aggressive nature and his willingness to have total peace and that struggle. You can just see it every single time that he's on the screen. 
which is really cool. I think um, he always uh, has great moments. Like it's good to see that they don't uh, water down like his Catholic faith because it is such a huge part of what that character is. Um, and it's also good to see that he uh, that he kind of struggles to let other people in to actually connect with him. Like I. Like how we said about with Jessica Jones. I mean, you'd never think in a million years that those two would connect, but they find a way to do it somehow. And that's like what makes this team strong is that they're the unlikeliest group put together at one time. Um, also, one thing is the way that it ends uh, with Daredevil in, uh, in the uh, church and the nun says, Maggie, he's awake. That gets me so amped for what's coming up in Daredevil and any other series because that, this is just speculation, when they say Maggie, he's awake, it means that his mother, Maggie Murdoch, is there. And it also means that this possible take on the Bordigan storyline, which will mean that we'll probably see Wilson Fisk come back as the Kingpin and be full-on Kingpin this time and not just a business guy with some shady dealings. Uh, but it also will probably mean a very, very dark character arc for Karen Page. So, uh, But it also a very interesting one as well. So uh, the ending gets me really excited what's coming up next. Um, I also liked, um, there are other characters that I liked. I actually liked the beginning of Alexandra's storyline. I liked that she was kind of like a, a lady... Uh, kingpin that she was the lady in the high castle super untouchable that she's in a random sky rise getting her own um her own uh concert played for her for by uh this uh this esteemed uh concerto choir and stuff um i thought it was really cool to see that she's someone that actually strikes fear in the heart of madame gal madame gal's already a super badass on her own and this woman is someone that Madame Gal has to actually use diplomacy and kind of almost begging and pleading, don't do it this way because there's got to be um, there's got to be a more effective, there's got to be a more um, less upfront way of going about getting what we want. And it was good to see that she didn't really have to be a super ninja and. A lot of people kind of balked at the casting of Sigourney Weaver as the main bad guy because she wasn't a super ninja. I mean, I mean to expect a person of her age to be a super ninja in this, I mean, yeah, we can always get stunned people, but would it be realistic? But if she's a character that's already established all that and that she's been around for hundreds of years and is able to lead because they know that if they make the wrong move, something bad is going to happen to them or the worst thing ever is going to happen to them. It makes kind of sense when we look at the five fingers of the hand. Um, it was also really good to see that uh, they all show the whole five fingers. So we have Bukudo, Madam Gal, um, Nakamura, I believe his name is. Murakami. Murakami. <laughs> I totally got that wrong. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, they, uh, they also had their own, like, interesting moments. I thought Murakami's introduction was really cool. It just He said, this is a moon bear. This is one of the uh, rarest animals on the, in the world. He's just there in his sky rise, just cutting it open and dissecting it. And I thought, oh, what type of gruesome, vicious person is this? Yeah. And um, 
And it's going to break my heart, but America's sweetheart, Rosario Dawson, she brought it, and she's the greatest support uh, character you can have ever in a series like this because she's just that, she's that character that the audience can relate to the most. And it's, uh, she had some great moments with all of them, I think, and she really continued to shine. It's going to really break my heart when, um, instead of Luke Cage getting coffee with, uh, with Claire, he gets coffee with Jessica eventually. You know, it's going to happen because Luke and Jessica are meant to be together. They are. Nice. Lou, what you got? So I had a couple things. Uh, Mocha actually did a lot of work on my <laughs> my wins, but um, expanding on, uh, I'll kind of fill in the gaps there. Expanding on the Iron Fist, I thought it was great that for the first time we had an extended uh, glowing hand. Like previously, he'd been able to light it up for like one punch or you know one little sequence, whereas that whole end. End sequence. He had the fist going for like five to ten minutes, and it was great to actually see like a near finished Iron Fist. Um, in fact, I think they alluded to it at the end, where he was sitting on the rooftop with that great fake out, where you thought that was going to be the return of Daredevil, and it was really Iron Fist. Um, I'd actually be interested interested to see. I saw a fan theory come up on uh, the old internet uh, that. Uh, Daredevil three will start off with Iron Fist as the Daredevil for a couple of seasons or a couple episodes until Matt comes back, which harkens back to a small run that to protect his anonymity, um, Iron Fist takes over the Daredevil mantle for a little while. So I thought it was really cool and a, like a nice shout out. And it seemed like Iron Fist was like again. It seems like his ninja aspect had also been elevated. Um, and not in addition to like his interactions with other people. Um, I, I thought Jess. So I, I just need to say this. This is this is a win, obviously. But Jessica Jones is my spirit animal. Uh, her laissez-faire, like whatever attitude, was just like the greatest thing. I I, I can't say it enough. I love that that season. Um, I'm so excited for the next season. Uh, I thought one thing they could have done better in this one is to allude towards Hellcat coming out. Um, but I'm fine. When that moment happens, it's going to be incredible. Um, the one thing I'll say is I thought they handled the – speaking of Hellcat, though, I thought they handled the side characters very well. Um, they never felt, like, forced into the plot. Like, speaking of Ultron earlier, Selvig was just randomly dumped in, uh, you know, to give Thor something about the next season, where I thought that uh, Foggy, Karen, uh, Malcolm, Trish – uh, Claire, Colleen, like all these people felt like they belonged. And even though they wrote themselves into somewhat of a corner where like, hey, we're just going to stick them at the police station, they all felt like they they should be at the police station and they never really like felt in the way. Like they kind of just seemed like, oh yeah, we're affected by the main plot. We're going to interact a little bit with each other and then kind of be our own things. Um, I don't think this is been said because I'm going to talk a little bit about my my like criticisms, but I thought the Elodie Young's performance as Electra was haunting. Her dead eyes and her ability to kind of like 
like walk like something dead through a room was amazing. And her transition was pretty solid too, back to like a, you know, living, breathing character. Um, and we could talk about, you know, motivations later, but, uh, and the performance itself, especially in those early episodes was absolutely amazing by that actress. Yeah. Um, I, I would just definitely agree with that. And I think one of the, craziest or like best scenes is when she goes through her training even though um i mean that gauntlet that she goes through and that the final one is just like turn off the lights and all these people with armed swords come at her yeah. and the lights come on and they're like everybody's stabbed with a sword she's just standing there with bloody hands that was just like one of the gruesome uh just like it shows you how vicious she's gotten well, that's and that's another win for me that I thought for a TV series because remember Netflix isn't quite movies yet. Um, the t- for a TV series, the fights were good. Uh, there was a couple points, especially uh, the, the one that I was actually really bummed about was uh, in the tower fight um, when Luke Cage saves Danny Rand. Uh, and then Rand lights up his fist, and then you cut to Daredevil running. You're like, oh, come on, just yeah. show me him beating the hell out of some people. But I think for for the for the money that was dropped into these shows, they did a great job with fight choreography and did a great job showing the individual power set of these characters. Um, yeah, like that first fight Denny Rand has in the boardroom where he's pulling the darts out of the wall and stabbing people with them. That's better than anything he did in Iron Fist. Yeah, that literally was. That, uh, I, it thoroughly, and the entire sequence, that entire like uh, fight scene, I thought was probably one of like my best, uh, the the one of the biggest uh, wins that I had for the series because that was the first time they all converged con- together and uh, they were all kind of fighting with each other. They were. It was still kind of clunky. It was still kind of weird. They weren't that sure who's who, but it was still very interesting to see. And I think a, a lot of people got giddy, especially going to the elevator uh, as they're going down. They're all like, "What the heck just happened?" Sort of thing. That was pretty cool. That scene was the only scene that I rewatched. So I watched it and then stopped watching. I didn't quite marathon this thing, but I so I watched that episode and then went to bed. And then the next, when I picked it up again, I went back, watched those 20 minutes, and then went to the next episode. Uh, one thing I, I would say, I think they crushed it with, for the most part, with ambience. Like, when you heard the hip-hop beat come in, when Danny Rand was getting dogpiled in that scene, uh, and then you just heard it, and then you're like, oh, <laughs> yes! And then Luke Cage comes busting through the door four seconds later. That was an incredible moment. And I know we touched on this a little earlier, where like each character had their own unique color uh, grading for the scenes that they were in alone. Um, I thought that they did an absolutely brilliant job in a Chinese food restaurant, where they had every single color on the wall. And they had they mixed them and matched them in a way that they, you know, they had their unique little space, but they, the color palette across the entire, uh, episode was, was mixed and it was consistently just blended together. Uh, truthfully, I thought that was like one of the more like beautiful scenes. Uh, they also, uh, as someone had pointed out earlier, did a great job, uh, of having, having the banter between Jessica Jones and daredevil, um, and then Luke Cage and Iron Fist and really showed those character points. And it was the first time that they, 
felt like the team. Now, to be fair, they got a little bit away from that. Uh, they went towards a more standardized color palette. But I think they did that to show that they weren't necessarily four separate entities at that time, but one cohesive-ish unit. Um, I'd like to say that, so. it wasn't simply an ensemble piece. Uh, and this goes a little bit back that they told four separate stories every single one of the characters got there on their own accord. Like, it wasn't like... Again, the obvious comparison is the Avengers. So we're going to go there 400 times for the rest of this podcast. Um, and the Avengers, they didn't really play on... Well, it was Thor's brother, and it was Steve's MacGuffin, and Tony lives in New York. Um, they kind of just came together to save the world, to avenge it. Uh, with the Defenders, Jessica Jones... The original, the first four episodes felt like her series. When you were there, you felt the absolute terror of living in a PTSD world. Um, and of the color grading, the music, and she was playing the private eye game. And she gets there because she's private eye. She, Luke Cage gets there um, through this like very proud like African American tradition, which they they killed in Luke Cage, um, and he gets there because he's defending his neighborhood, like a very like unique theme to, to, to Harlem. Um, Daredevil obviously gets there because he's, he's fighting the hand and he's got the stick and Catholic guilt and all that fun stuff. And Iron Fist is apparently punching things with his magic, you know, glowing fist, but it felt like four unique series that ended up in the same place uh, rather than, Hey, let's get together to beat up some bad guys. And I thought that was amazing. Um, to that, it also set up the future storylines without feeling forced. Like everyone, uh, Luke Cage was specifically was constantly talking about uh, Mariah and Shades, and he's like, "Oh, what do they have to do with this? What do they have to do with this?" So it's gonna, it's gonna feel great when they bring them back in, and like there's a continuity through the team up where you don't usually usually get in a lot of these. Um, a couple other things, uh, they could have cut out like the very easy middleman and just had like Claire call everyone be like, Oh, there's a thing. And I remember in the iron fist thing, I, I was screeching about it that I couldn't believe that Claire knew Danny was fighting the hand and didn't call daredevil yeah. to fight the hand. Yeah. And so I was screeching about it in that episode. And again, because I'm a hypocrite in pretty much every podcast we've ever put out, yep. I thought that they could have gone that route as the easy way and they didn't. And I applaud that even though well, six months ago, that's what I wanted. I actually like the fact that in iron fist, Claire didn't reach out to uh, Matthew Murdoch right away because the way the their relationship ended in the Daredevil TV series was like a spark, you know, happening between them and her realizing that she just can't keep up with the sort of life he's living and she can't just be there to patch him up every time he gets hurt and that he she can't talk to him again until he figures out his life. Um, and so that, that was consistent with her character for me because, you know, the whole reason she wound up in Harlem in the first place is because she left Hell's Kitchen to get away from all the shit going on there. She had to get away from Matthew Murdoch and that what was turned into a toxic relationship for her. Um, and so for me, it, it made a lot of sense in terms of consistency of character that when Claire did start getting involved with the hand again, that she didn't rush back to Matthew Murdoch because that was where they had left it off, where she wasn't going to be like talking with him at all. And in Defenders 2, she didn't reach out to him. He came back into her life because of everything going on. 
and things were sort of different um, from then on. But it was pretty consistent with their character, I think. Um, before we get into our, critic uh, our criticisms, I have a couple ones. Uh, at least some things that didn't, nobody actually said. Uh, really a couple ones, and they are kind of contradictory, but I don't care. Um, I thought it was pretty cool to the fact that the first time that... Uh, I know that we, I got really giddy, and we already mentioned this, like, the boardroom scene when everybody goes together. I thought that was a very powerful, like, really cool moment. I was really, really waiting for, and we get it, when Danny Rand uh, and Luke Cage get into their first fight, and their fight, and Luke Cage is beating them up, and everybody's, I think everybody in their head was, why don't you just use your fist? Use your fist. How? And then you think about it, like, you know what, how will that work? And then he used his fist and punches them in the face, and just knocks him clean in the air and kind of hits it. And you're like, oh, that's, okay, that's pretty cool. That That is a badass moment because for the unbreakable person, I think he they also kind of mentioned him before. Um, also, kind of side note, who was the other guy in the hand that actually died first, uh, who stick killed? Sawande. Yeah, Sawande. So, I uh, can't believe they skipped that fight scene between Luke Cage and Sawande. Yeah. I was yeah, it's like, I mean, you showed up and like I got, I got him. Yeah, uh, that was no, kind of that, that was kind of bummer. Yeah, I, it was like one of the things which don't show me all the action off screen. You can show me, uh, but whatever. Yeah, we'll we'll get into criticism again. But the the one thing I did thoroughly enjoy was when he punched him. I think that was what we were. I think everybody in that that moment was waiting waiting for that. Of I wonder if the, how these powers go against each other. And then we also see it later on when all the heroes are fighting together. And, you know, uh, at the time, you know, Iron Fist kind of punches, doesn't even get a chance to punch people. Uh, and it's the shockwave kind of hits everybody. And then you see Jessica Jones kind of intervene and kind of knocks him out. And she ends up having to use her powers for that. So I think uh, that was just a kind of a cool moment. Uh, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, because one I'm talking about, that was really cool when you punched him in the face and violence. I did like the fact that the violence wasn't the first sort of um, cause of reaction to a lot of these things and uh, even Luke Cage even talks about like he doesn't want to hurt anybody he wasn't fighting anybody Jessica Jones what doesn't really want to use her powers um, Matt Murdock Matthew Murdock doesn't want to fight Elektra is trying to kind of talk with her and it, it does seem like they kind of made sort of attempts at you know this we're trying to resolve this in a peaceful manner as much as possible like I don't want to blow up a building that's crazy what do you mean so I, I like the fact that they try to use logic they try to use reason and it doesn't look like you have to use your fists first to just kind of try to solve sort of conflicts I did I did kind of enjoy that obviously at the end that had to happen you know the end scene happened that's fine but you know at least you know what Matthew Murdoch will try to do is kind of get back to Electra and he wasn't trying to fight her um, and I thought uh, just like what they're trying to do of not using violence as uh, as a con as, as a resolution, um, I, I thought that was impactful. Well, that actually ties into you know Matthew Murdoch's um, whole reaction at the end, where he tells everyone else to leave, and then while it's crumbling, he stays to try to get through to Electra. Uh, that ties into his whole character perfectly. You know, he is a truly devoted Catholic, and to be a truly devoted Catholic, you have to be fucked up by guilt constantly and he was not going to let everyone else's lives be on his head but at the same time he also felt an extreme amount of guilt for having Electra be at this point in the first place mm. because he got into a relationship with Electra, she was killed and because she was killed she was revived as the black sky um, and so I think that he fully felt that all of it was his fault whether or not that's reasonable uh, and again it just shows the consistency of thought and action on these characters they're, everything they do is so in line with who they are or who we've been shown, uh, shown that they are throughout the series. Yeah. 
Yeah. And even with the peaceful intentions, it's still pretty badass to see the Iron Fist meet the invisible hand of Madame Gao. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was cool. I still, <laughs> also, I, I still wanted to see more of her kind of fighting. Um, but th- that was pretty cool, at least seeing Bakudo, uh, Madame Gao, Murakami, uh, them fighting uh, all of them. I think that was a pretty cool moment. Seeing Madame Gao get fucking murked with a pipe <laughs> like was the funniest thing. I laughed out loud. <laughs> this tiny little old Asian woman just getting slammed in the face with a lead pipe. Yeah, that funny. Well, that was the best combo where like uh, Jessica Jones, who's a terrible martial artist, who she even says this is like, well, how do I end up in a place where everyone knows karate? <laughs> like, that, was, that was amazing. Has to fight this person who's like super seated karate and just like kind of moves air with her hand. Like that that fight scene was amazing on that level. Yeah, it was really cool. Also, shout out to Sawande. Even though we didn't get to see his the end game of his fight with Luke Cage, the fact that he was pretty much the only character um, aside from Danny Rand when he lights up his Iron Fist to go up against Luke Cage and realize it's pointless for me to just try to hit this guy yeah. so let me get him some other way and he switches to this martial arts style that's all about hitting pressure points on a bo- on someone's body to disable their movement and to like fuck with their bloodstream and stuff that was just really cool and I was I was like through the roof excited when this dude who I expected just to be a brawler um, shows up and starts like hitting specific vital points on Luke Cage's body and tossing him around like a rag doll as a result. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I, was, yeah. I, was really, I was really bombed. I was really hoping that we get more of Sawande's character. Uh, I, I felt like he died a little bit too quickly, uh, but it was still nice. The re- uh, the other thing, I was really bummed too because I thought it would be pretty cool. I really want to see the hand, although it's going to be very cheesy to see them all standing in one room. I don't think we actually got them all in one room together. When all of them are alive, we didn't get well, that at all. They, got, they got the convergence. The, for the World Dragon scene, they were all in that room together. So one day, Alexandra, Gao, Murakami, uh, oh, not Bokuto, though. No. He, was, he wasn't there yet. Yeah, 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 right. there. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, I think they even had a table later on that had like five points. So I was like, oh, maybe he's going to cut. Oh, he just got his head cut off. I guess he's not going to come back, is he? <laughs> he's not going to be a defender, <laughs> too. <laughs> nice. And of course, they also, found. I mean, to add on to the uh, to Solande attacking Luke Cage with pressure points, it's good to be for people thinking about who Luke Cage is and taking him out a more reasonable way. Where uh, Stick actually used his incense to actually knock out Luke Cage. Yeah, that yeah. way he was not going to be a problem for him. Smart. Those yeah. stupid friggin' Judas bullets. I mean, that's like that's the way they should have done it. They, uh, Mariah, it says like, can we poison him? Can we drown him? It's like. Come on! You can give me the Judas bullets anytime later. Just like, just be original with trying to kill Luke Cage, and that's why I was really bummed. We've seen uh, Swande actually in a fist fight do some damage to Luke Cage, which no other character really had been able to do. That you know, it's it all took like alternative means to really get to him. Yeah. Also, pour one out for Swande falling to the classic TV and movie trope of being the black guy to die first. <laughs> R.I.P. Now, it's tough being a black guy in, in, in cinema. Unless you're an unbreakable black dude, then you're good. Yeah. All right. We've talked about the things we like. We talked about a bunch of our wins. So I'm super pumped to talk about what the most interesting parts of our episodes is some things that just didn't quite work. Uh, um, since we started with Mocha, we got to switch and start with the other pretty Mike. 
Uh, Blue, what are some things that just didn't quite work for you um, in the actual uh, episode? So I felt the hand was pointless. Uh, they started off as really cool. They were undead ninjas. There was an air of mysticism to them. And now they're just goons with katanas. Uh, like, they, they really just were the ultimate mooks. Like, they weren't aliens or anything. It was just, you're just generic goons. Um, the other thing is that I thought the the leaders of the hands, uh, personally, I can't stand Bakudo. So him showing up was an automatic criticism because I just couldn't stand that guy. He was a weirdo in Iron Fist and he was still a weirdo in Defenders. A little bit, just more of this, like that weird. He felt like a, he felt like a, like a, a one hundred level psychology teacher in college. Like you know, Colleen, Colleen's creepy professor. Yeah, yeah. He felt like it's like, oh, I'm gonna hit on the eighteen year old freshman chick. Oh, here's some like, you know, uh, Keats for the first time. And they're like, oh, I really like that. It's changing my worldview. It's no, no, it's not. Just wants to sleep with you. Get out of here. Um, the other thing with the, the hand, at least, is that I felt they didn't quite explain why Alexandra was scary. Like, they kind of alluded to it that she's what makes the whole organization tick. And the fact that they cooed a couple times and had probably successfully killed her, but she kept on coming back because of, you know, MacGuffins. Um, I would have loved to have seen her actually lay down the law. Like, her thing, to me, felt like, oh, she has the black sky. But I also felt the way that they propped up Gao and uh, Mary Kama was that both of those could handle the black sky. So I really just didn't understand how the power structure worked at all. And that made it, that that was a, a miss for me. Like, Netflix has these great Marvel villains in uh, Kingpin and the Purple Man like they they absolutely crush it in the role. They're terrifying characters, and Alexandra just kind of existed. Like you kind of just felt bad that she was dying, and kind of hoped that she died sooner so that you could have an actual villain takeover. You know, um, other thing on the hand is they, they weirdly straddled that they explained too much, or excuse me, they explained just enough to not explain enough. Like, the best part about Gao, speaking of someone who I thought should have been the leader of the hand, um, because she showed up so much, it would make sense that she's, like, the main bad guy. Um, but the best part about Gao in previous seasons is you kind of just didn't know. She's kind of just popped up as a heroin dealer or, like, this weird person that the hand kind of had a problem with. Like, she was just there. And because she wasn't explained, you, you felt like that, again, that air of mysticism. In this show, they kind of explained how the inner workings of the hand were, but didn't really give them enough backstory. They they spent a lot of time with Kingpin. They spent a lot of time with Purple Man, really showing off who they were as people before they started facing off against their you know their hero. Um, where they didn't like there was you you got that they were traitors of Kun Lun and how they interacted with Iron Fist storyline. But you didn't really understand who they were. It's the same criticism we had with Iron Fist, where they didn't show anything on Kun Lun. If they showed them as disciples on that island in the sky, or whatever you want to describe it as, you might understand why they were the way they were 
now, but you just had like, oh, they showed up 500 years ago. This is how they are. Yeah. Deal with it. Where I think that Marvel TV, oh my God, it's, it's so funny just like having criticisms of the movies and then having literally the exact opposite be criticisms of the TV show. Um, Marvel movies kills their good baddies. Like they get to the end of the movie and you know the bad guy's going to die and they're never going to show up again. Um, whereas Marvel TV keeps stringing them along where it works with Kingpin because you can put him in jail for most of, you know, whatever. Madame Gao should have definitively died. Like they should have just capped it with like, like I assume what they're going to do with Thanos where he was this weird purple floating guy that they're, they got to end him, you know, in infinity war. Mm-hmm. I thought that defenders should have been perfect to end Madame Gao and then start phase two of whatever comes in the Marvel, you know, Netflix world. So Mine. I actually have, I actually have a good point about that. Um, the reason why we see such sort of consistency between disparate elements of the film version of the MCU is because throughout all of it, um, Kevin Feige is acting as like supreme showrunner, making sure that things connect and make and are forming this patchwork quilt. Um, of one greater piece but with the marvel tv shows each of the showrunners is sort of doing their own thing while keeping the others in mind um you know for those who don't know the netflix uh, marvel tv is separate from marvel uh, the marvel uh, films uh, kevin Feige is in charge of the films jeff loeb who used to be in charge of the films has been rele- delegated to the tv universe um but i was reading an interview with the showrunners from the defenders talking about how they decided to come to the big conclusion of what was at the bottom of the hole and so on. And they kind of, they made it very clear that the other shows had daredevil had introduced this concept of there being a hole, but they had no idea what they were going to do with it. So when they came time to make the defenders, they decided, Oh, let's have a dragon's bones be in that hole. And that's why Mm -hmm. they're doing these things. So there's this inherent disconnect in the creative process for these shows so they know that they're building towards a greater piece that's supposed to connect them all together, but there isn't one consistent sort of mind or driving force during the creative process. Um, and I think that's a huge flaw, and I have a lot of issues with the way Jeff Loeb is handling all of Marvel's TV properties, um, but that's an inherent flaw with things like you know, like, Netflix, like the Netflix shows. I got two more. One's a nitpick, and one is a big thing. Uh, so I thought they had wildly inconsistent power sets. Like, literally, they would alternate between Avengers level and, like, Blew It level in, like, <laughs> two or three scenes. It was nuts. Like, especially Murdoch. Like, Murdoch started his first fight scene. He fought, like, one goon in an alleyway. And I think he ended up beating him up, but was, like, was hurt, and he was super tired at the end of it. Um, and you saw a little bit of that in defenders but you also saw him taking on the iron fist and like holding his own against him um and i just thought that that in no way should happen like someone who's trained their entire life in kung fu shouldn't lose at all to a like a street level brawler um luke cage kind of became stronger as the plot needed it even Danny Rand with the fist was like, all right, well, he has the fist now, and then he just doesn't have the fist later. Like, it literally kind of went out with with no explanation um, there. And so it was just like, 
you gotta just keep it consistent. Like Iron Man's always smart. He always has, well, except when they make it a point, always has a suit. You know, whereas these guys were all over the place with how how hard they could punch things. Yeah, one thing to actually contradict that a little bit is Daredevil's a little bit more than just a street level brawler. Like he does have a heightened sense of awareness of around what's coming around him. He can even actually um, actually anticipate movements and he was trained as a kid by stick in pretty much the same martial arts as danny was and he uh and he, stick even mentions like it's probably the most natural fighter i've ever trained in my life and that's why he can actually take it up a little extra level yeah yeah like yeah matt murdoch is an extremely talented fighter um straight up he was trained by the chase which was which are the hand, which are Kunlun people. So yeah, like Brian said, he definitely has is more than a street level brawler. But do you think that Danny Rand should ever lose a fight? Not to Matt Murdock, but he was losing fights all over the place. It was Mike one of my big issues that I keep having. It's the same. It's the same criticism that we have from uh, Iron Fist. I mean, it's yeah. I absolutely do think you should be losing fights, and it's it's frustrating because I don't want to see that happen. But the narrative for Danny Rand in um, the Netflix series is he ran, he fled um, Kunlun without receiving his proper training. He gained the power of the Iron Fist and left. So yeah, he can, he knows his martial arts, but he's also got this well of power that he doesn't know how to properly use and has no one to show him. So he keeps learning by getting his ass kicked and then doing something on accident. So I don't like that about their interpretation of him in this show, but I think it is consistent. Yeah. But Danny Rand was getting his ass kicked by those goons in the tower. Like, I thought 20 goons, he should, without having the fist, be able to just, like, absolutely crush. And then he, Luke Cage needed to come in and save him. I think, you know? a, I think a way to kind of fix that blew it also, like, in that particular moment, if he would have been already poisoned or dazed or something that's messing up his sense of fighting style but you can still see him clearly like holding his own but he does get hit and that also gives motivation why luke cage needs to physically save him because he's not at his top peak until he later recovers yeah and and i thought that would have been cool like they even had the guns to they they had the tranquilizers to kill him so one of them a couple of them should at least hit him and shown how strong he is to kind of battle it off and still fight it and why he was like, I, I guess I needed more of a reasoning why I see you losing these fights. And like, they not were definitely anybody, thinking like, about that because yeah. Luke Cage, Luke Cage got drugged later on in the series. You know, like they were clearly thinking about ways to get these people down, down a level or two. Yeah. Um, and so I agree with you, Warren, where like they, they, Danny Rand should not have lost as many fights as he did. And I get that he's not as trained up, uh, and I get that he doesn't have constant connection to Chi, but I think for someone who's been trading arguably as long as Matt Murdock has, he should be a better fighter consistently. Um, I don't know. It's The other thing, like, you know, Jessica Jones looked terrible punching some people. Like, it was small things. Like, she'd hit one person, and then... You know, it seemed like a normal human's punch, and then she'd hit, she'd catch an elevator with her arms. Yeah. You know, like it just seemed like they were, and I guess you could explain it with like Luke Cage specifically said, "I don't like violence," and he's not going to hit people as hard as he can. And so, I guess on a narrative perspective, you can get away with having different power sets. Just us as a viewer and knowing what they're capable of, I, 
to me, the individual series was about finding out what they're capable of, and then the Defenders was them just, should have been them just going to town, and them fighting a villain who was their equal in going to town. Yeah. And I, that's what I would, love, would have loved to see. Yeah, for sure. Definitely for sure. Um, uh, one last, what, sorry, one last little yeah. thing. Uh, how come uh, Misty Knight's arm isn't Stark Deck? And this is this is something that, because um, I mean he he built one or 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 freaking Wakandan tech that you know what Bucky's arm is going to be eventually. How do we know, um, how do we know? Well, she doesn't have the arm yet. Yeah, she doesn't. No, no, I know, but they 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 missed a perfect opportunity to say, hey, you know this is this hospital's obviously they went with just uh, <laughs> the Jesse Rand. Uh, <laughs> obviously this. We made it through Iron Fist season one and most of the way through the Defenders before of Jesse Pop, but um, so so I think that one thing that this series did was just totally alienate itself from the outside world. Like almost every, and I'm trying to remember, there was maybe a couple references to the rest of the MCU, and. It really feels like they're doing what uh, DC's doing, where there is a there is a CW world and then there is the movie world, um, and so that would have been a wicked easy one to say like, oh yeah, Stark's built plenty of cybernetic things before. Let's just pop an arm on you and then you can go ahead with it. Like something simple like that makes it you think, oh yeah, this is the same New York that has, you know. Oscorp Tower in it. This is the same New York that has Spider-Man in it. Um, used to have Avenger, the Avengers in it. Like you, I felt it needed more of a connection. Um, even those throwaway lines from every other season that they've done has just been like, yeah, that's how normal people talk about it. You know, normal people don't talk about 9-11 every single day, um, but they still reference it every once in a while. So I'm not asking Netflix to be over, like, you know, overburdened and saying like, "Oh, remember when Iron Man did this or Captain America?" Yeah, that was cool. I just want like a, more references to other things besides just the incident. You know? Yeah. That's fair. Uh, toss it over, Brylin. What you got for me? Yeah, so I'm gonna start with saying uh, how much I liked how Alexandra's story started. I didn't like how her part of the story ended. Uh, with Electra killing her off. Um, I kind of feel like Alexandra, her welcome should have been like an episode earlier that um, I think it would have been more impactful if we saw her die of natural causes in front of the other fingers because this is a group of people that um, that their whole thing is a fear of mortality, yeah. a fear of just natural death. And if you saw her like die of natural causes in front of them, how much more they would actually feel what she was feeling at that time, which was that fear of getting stuff done and that just that intensity of just being like, hey, oh, I got to actually get to this substance because we run out of the substance we had. Um, let's actually double our efforts and become a little bit more public about what we're doing. Yeah, I think that would actually made the rest of the fingers more interesting as well. Uh, because the fingers were inconsistent in um, how good they were. So um, you mentioned criticisms of Bakudo. He is, like you said, a creepy professor just trying to mess with people's minds. And then you have someone like Swande that's actually doing a, shows a really effective way of messing with people's minds as well. 
while he's just tied to a chair and everything. He doesn't really need a weapon or anything. He has his words. Um, and Madame Gao is always amazing as Madame Gao, but they also put her in a very vulnerable position where she's having to beg and plead to Alexander to get some things done. And at the end, she just decides, like, you know what? Fuck the hand. I'm leaving. I'm going behind this uh, dark alley here. You're not going to see me again, uh, which is definitely in part with Madame Gal. And then you have Murakami, who he has an interesting introduction, and then he ended up being a half-rate ninja with uh, police batons as a weapon. And uh, the only thing that seemed to separate him from the rest of the fingers was he always spoke Japanese and nothing else. Yeah. Um, also, you also have, once again, with a lot of Netflix series, this lull that happens like halfway through the series. So we got uh, two episodes, almost two full episodes that take place in one Chinese restaurant where that uh, everybody's just standing around looking at each other, talking to one another, then deciding to kind of like do their own thing and go off one way or go off another. Like, Jessica Jones isn't having it at all. As soon as they get there, she skips off, but that's where you get her cool investigative uh, work. But it's kind of like was a bore. It became a little tedious at the end until the Five Fingers showed up to actually uh, be in that Chinese restaurant because how many times was Danny, like, saying, like, hey, is that pork or shrimp? And then you like switch between the pork and the shrimp dumplings. I'm like, come on, uh, let's have a little bit more for them to do at this time. Yeah, I feel like this kind of ran out of stuff. I loved, I loved that scene. I like, I wish they could have spent more. That to me was like the pinnacle of the entire show was them meeting and them figuring out who they were as people. Literally, because like Matt took his mask off. Um, and then the banter between them and then the fight scene they had with the fingers of the hand. I wish that like more could have been in the Chinese food restaurant. <laughs> but um, yeah, those are going to be like some of my uh, major uh, criticisms of it. Cool. Mocha, what you got for me? All right. So my biggest issue with this show, The Defenders, is that I think it had all the potential to be a truly great show, uh, but it needed about three to five more episodes to do it. I don't understand why the culmination of um, five different uh, seasons of TV um, was to be done in eight episodes when each of those other season, series seasons had 13 in it, 13 each. Um, you know, and we saw that with we see that with a lot of the Netflix shows for whether it's Jessica Jones or Devil 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 One Two, Luke Cage. There's this pacing where it gets to the there's a clearly defined first arc and a clearly defined second arc where things sort of shift gears and at times ramp up, um, and that usually happens around six or seven episodes in, and that far in the show for Defenders, like that's the whole show right there. Um, I think that a lot of the issues with the hand, which I agree with you, Brian and Mike. The hand was like wasn't effective as final bosses really, and I think that's because we didn't get to have more time to get to know the fingers and see their their interactions outside of them, you know, reacting to Alexandria Alexandra to show us how scary she is. Um, you know, I feel like there were some really big moments in terms of the overall canon. The fact that the chase were wiped out in the beginning of the series, that is a huge thing for the story because the chase have been the only barrier against the, uh, the hand for a hundred to 200 years. 
And the fact that they finally found their hideout and wiped them all out, we should have seen that happen. Like, I would have loved to have seen, like, some of the fingers walk in there and take down what was left of that order because they're an important plot point. Um, and it also gives more credence to the fact that Alexandra is moving things along. Like, she keeps saying, oh, you, you used our resources. You pulled our resources to move things faster. The fact that they the fact that they pulled out all their resources or they kept referring to the fact that they were using all their resources, the fact that Alexandra summoned all the fingers, the fact that she was moving up their timetable, um, a part of that was the fact that they did this all-out offensive against the chase. And that's some awesome fighting and something that's important to the overall plot for the hand that we just didn't get to see and didn't even know that it happened until about five episodes in. Um, and that's a bummer. We just see the cleanup and then find out, oh, well, they were cleaned up the remaining buys of the chase. That's important. We didn't say see Stick get captured, which we don't have to. The important thing is that he gets captured and we get to see him take off his own hand. But that would have been cool to see how that went down. Um, and I feel like, you know, we only got so much time with each of the members of the, thing, of the, of the, the hands top tier. I wanted to get a fully extended fight scene between Sawande and Luke Cage. I wanted to see each of the fingers get into some sort of fight before all of them come together in the in the um, the Midland building, Midland Circle building to fight the defenders, like team versus team. You know, give us more build up to them as villains. Give us a reason to know why Murakami is a badass. Like you said, Blewett, he had one like one of the more intense intros for any of the fingers. Um, we first meet him, and he's gutting a bear that he killed with his bare hands um, and talking about how like that he's the hunter he is the, like the deadly one and then we, we only get to see him we get to see him jump through a skylight and then get knocked on his ground on the ground and then we get to see him again in the in the midland circle fight getting his ass handed to him by daredevil you know we could have seen seen more out of them and i think that the lack of build-up for those villains considering that they were the the final form of every other villain we've seen on the netflix show um you know was was a huge huge miss on their part it's funny that i thought one of the big criticisms for netflix marvel was that they suffered that mid-season lull where they'd get to episode seven and then nothing would happen till 11 and then it'd be great for the last couple episodes uh that still somehow happened like i understand the way that they were doing is they wanted to have a shortened season to see if they could just tell more of a consistent story for eight hours, like seven to eight hours rather than 12. And it still like suffered a lull, you know, like that's, that was my big criticism with that where like they shortened the season, but didn't iron out what made them need to shorten the season. Yeah. It's this weird storytelling approach where Netflix likes to do a lot of flashy, interesting things to catch your attention right away in the beginning. And then after getting all these exciting fights for an episode or two, you get all of the exposition and all of the plots and the build up to the actual meet. Um, and so it creates that sort of weird lull where a few episodes in, you certainly get a downshift in gears. Um, I don't know how they're going to, how they're going to fix that, uh, what the approach should be, but, but yeah, you're right. That's definitely noticeable. Um, all right, I'm going to need you guys to buckle in for a second because I'm about to go on a rant. Um, I am filled with rage that after all this time, after this entire series, they still haven't told us what the fuck the Black Sky is. They have not told us. It has been the folk, It has been the biggest mystery in everything. In, in the original Daredevil, we get introduced to it because there's this weird boy in a crate that's been shipped here from another country, and Stick goes out of his way to shoot him in the chest with an arrow on like a motorcycle chase scene or whatever, because it's just so important that the hand not that the hand not get their hands on the black sky. 
And then we get Electra, who's a completely normal character, more or less, throughout her initial appearance. And then she comes back from the dead and is simply declared the black sky. Everyone's impressed. Like the hand is like, oh, like you you feel safer now that this black sky is here. You use all our resources to get the black sky. She's the black sky, and they never tell you what the fuck the black sky is. It has nothing to do with what's in the pit, because what's in the pit is fucking dragon bones. There's this other issue. But they still never tell us. And it's so frustrating to me, because it's the biggest mystery of this entire series. Uh, if you mind me uh, asking you one question, Mike. Um, so besides it being the ultimate weapon and us clearly seeing that when Electric got resurrected, that she was definitely powered up a lot more than what she was, what else did you need to know about the Black Sky? So we, first of all, we don't know that resurrection is what grants the Black Sky because the initial, the initial Black Sky that we saw was someone living and when they were killed, the hand gave up on the, that being a black sky. So it wasn't just a matter of them being of, the, of like resurrection, because then they would have just resurrected that kid, and he would have like killing him wouldn't have mattered. Um, and with Electra, the hand was well aware of Electra throughout her entire life. Uh, you know, as, as she was an assassin um, who was fighting them, but they never had this idea that she was the black sky until they resurrected her. Um, I went back and looked up some information or some quotes from the previous seasons, and when Electra is a child. And being raised by the by the chaste, and the chaste are naturally just against stick trading her. Um, one of them, I think it's Star, the name of the character. He says like, you know, she's not safe for us to have around. Um, and you know, like, and Stick tells her like, they're gonna keep hating you because of what you are. So maybe Stick had a sense that she was a, that she was the black sky. Mm-hmm. But again, what the fuck is the black sky, and why was it so important when it had nothing to do with them getting to their ultimate goal, which was g- getting some dragon bone marrow. They also, I thought, referenced in Daredevil 1 how there was, like, multiple black skies. Like, it seemed like, you know, you have a nuclear weapon. Like, you don't have a single nuclear weapon. You have multiple ones. Um, and so they also, they didn't explain why she was any different than any other black sky. Like, is she the blackest sky or is she just another black sky? And or also, the last of the black sky. Right, right, right. I agree with you, Mike. That there was like no, there was no precedent of what made her so special and different than any other black guy out there. Yeah, and I wouldn't be so frustrated if it was just a matter of them calling her the black sky and that was it. But everything, everything focused on her being the black sky and that being significant. Alexandra used all the remaining resources, whatever "quote unquote" resources mean for an, for a group of people who have power over the entire world. These all their last resources to get her as the black sky. Nothing came from it. Yes, she was a better fighter, but she wasn't different. She was just a more fluid fighter. Um, and and Alexandra even says to her, like, your fighting ability comes from uh, is is more greater than what you one could have with one life. And I assume that was just the implication that her previous memories were still in there and stacking, like her combat experience was stacking up with what she was being trained in when she was revived again. Um, but again, like it's fine. I don't care if you call her the black sky and that's it. But if you're going to tell me every single episode that she's the black sky, if you're going to have an entire episode where one of the most mysterious characters is freaking out because there's a little kid in the box and they can't get their hands on the black sky no matter what. And if you're going to like show, start this off with New York City shaking and then talking about it falling to its knees and everything being destroyed and Pompeii and all this crap throughout history and all referencing the black sky and then just ignore what the black sky is until the very end beyond the very end because we still don't know that is 
that is unforgivable in my book. Well, so it's, it's, it. it goes it goes to my my point where they explained enough to not explain enough. Like they they literally they, they said to if they said less like you're right they they're like oh let's use the black size she's really cool. She's going to do Kung Fu now. Like, that would have been fun. I'm like, oh, cool. We're doing Kung Fu now. This is awesome. But they instead, they introduced a lot of questions about a lot of different things that you're like, well, I want to know more about that because that feels super underdeveloped. Yeah. yeah. And I, well, I think just what, one thing I wanted to add is like, I mean, the Black Sky here is, I mean, just like the substance, the dragon bones, it's a MacGuffin to, it, to actually move on. Like, what is a super-powered hand look like? And it's the Black Sky. And to add on to that, like, the MacGuffins are kind of weak in the Defenders. Like, even in the necessity for the substance, I get like, yeah, okay, Dragon Bone Marrow will keep you alive and everything. But also, dragons are what gave Iron Fist his powers. And what was not to say, like, once Iron Fist got to the Dragon Bones that... He couldn't have hit one of them and actually had his second Iron Hand as well, and even overpower him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, and I, you know, as someone who's a comic book nerd, I was trying to look for more meaning in these things other than what was put forth. The Black Sky isn't a thing in the comics, but the Hand does worship this this demon called the Beast um, in the comics, and I assume that the Black Sky was going to be the Marvel Netflix's version of. The beast, the demon that the hand worship, at uh, the hand as an organization worships, um, but you know it just it wasn't there, and yeah, like you said, it was like a weak MacGuffin, and that's like oh, that's more frustrating than not having a you know something to drive that plot point forward at all. Um, I think really this all ties into what I mentioned earlier about how there's this disconnect between the showrunners for these shows. Um, one of the things that the showrunner for um, for Defender said in that interview when he was talking about how he sort of picked up the pieces that were left behind in the other shows and then figured out what he wanted all to mean regarding the the dragon in the hole. Um, He said that, he said it as a positive. He said, oh, it's kind of like Lost. You know, at the end of season two, they get to the hatch. But what is in the hatch? And that's for us to decide. And that's bullshit. That means that you guys just didn't talk about it. And we can know where the Black Sky is because you didn't have a fucking team meeting about it. (laughs) Like, that's... That's just really frustrating if that is the case, because um, it could just be so much more fluid. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. Um, so end rant on that regard. Um, I mentioned earlier that I was really excited about Sigourney Weaver being in the show, and I still am. But, you know, like a couple of us said earlier, maybe the world's greatest ninja wasn't the best role for Sigourney Weaver. Um, when they announced that she was going to be the, the villain in this show again my little like comic book reptile brain started ticking and i started thinking oh maybe she's going to be someone really unexpected maybe she's going to be mephisto mephisto is a big character in the mc in the mcu he's literally the devil um and he has a he has a lot to do with with matt murdoch and some of those street level characters um so i thought they were going to pull some big some like really intense switcheroo especially with dr strange having come out in the films and established the um, the otherworldly side of Marvel. Um, I thought they were going to have her be like the, a real big bad and the first supernatural villain that these three little fighters are going to have to face. The fact that she was just the leader of the hand and was just there to have a Wilson Fisk aesthetic at the end of this series is a is, is a letdown. 
Yeah. I thought she did a great job with her role and what she had. Um, and I thought she was intimidating. Um, and I thought it was really beautifully done, all these early scenes, where you know that she's just coming to terms with mortality. Um, and there's something really hauntingly beautiful about every single sh- scene that she's in, where she's trying to maintain power and maintain this image of, of toughness and scariness amidst her peers, while knowing that inside her body is destroying itself. Because, as she said... Like she's lived too long, and sometimes they, they like life seeks seeks to end itself, and sometimes that comes from within. Um, I thought it was a beautiful character, but it just was weak for Sigourney Weaver and all the star power that she brought that she brought to the show. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, and I wish that we had we had seen more of the hands raw power too. Um, we went through each of these other shows. Every time the hand was involved, it was a rain of fucking ninjas from the sky. In Daredevil 2, a million ninjas attack one hospital because the hand wants to accomplish a single goal, which is just killing someone. Um, yet you're going to tell me that at the final like at the final confrontation, the hand owns this gigantic um, building, the Midland Circle in New York City, and no one is working the night shift there. Like, there's no security guards, there's nothing, there's, like, 15 hand members in the cave at the bottom, like, digging out bone marrow, but they walk into that building, and no one's there but the but the top five brass. There's no way that it like, gets possible. Like, Daredevil, like, in his, when those, when the hand attacks, they don't all die, like, they eventually get run off, or the the heroes usually escape. Where is this, where are these resources, where, where is this literally worldwide army of ninjas, like, where, where, where are they during the end? Yeah. I mean, all the people in the end all had guns and machine uh, machine guns, and uh, that entire the, the lighting in the entire final sequence was also very dumb. It was very dark. He couldn't even tell what was happening too. But I thought it was weird. Of I think something to say. There's something to say of you have fifty ninjas with katanas all wielding to come kill you instead of a bunch of Joe Schmo people with machine guns that didn't seem to be dead people, just seemed to be regular goons. They were more like the foot than the hand. Yeah. They're just skateboards. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it's just was in, it was super inconsistent. We've been told and shown over and over that the hand is numerous and they're dangerous because they have so many resources. And when it comes down to the end and everything matters, they, they none of those resources are on the field. Um and again, I think if we had, like, even three more episodes, we could have had a scene where it's just hordes of ninjas raining from the sky, like some sort of anime fever dream. Um, but instead, we just got the, the five fingers doing their best. Um, and I don't think that's what the, fi- like, the, the finale of this should have been. Four fingers. Um, four fingers. Doing four it. fingers, yeah. Well, Suwande was there. Suwande was definitely the ring finger. <laughs> no. Maybe they couldn't see him <laughs> yeah. in the darkness. Who knows? Uh, it's, uh, okay. This show really bothered me, and I'm really glad a lot of, I'm really glad a lot of you guys, especially you, Mocha, like, really kind of echo, I'm not, I'm going to echo this a little bit, and talk about kind of a couple things, but I guess the one thing I do have to agree with one of your criticisms is, I thought the show was a little bit too long. It, it baffles me that they know by this time, and they could have been done this before, but they choose one of the weakest characters who's technically the strongest character, but uh, with Iron Fist, and they just had way too much focus on him and his inability to kind of grow. It feels like from one to the next of Iron Fist, like, I think he may have gotten his temperament checked, but he's still 
was kind of whiny. I think somebody even said a line about him like being whiny or something like that. Um, and he gets like really riled up, and he wants to try to do things. Uh, he wants to take care of himself, like by on his own. It felt like he never got that team dynamic, and it it, it just blew my mind that he's not learning the simplest of things. Of of course they want to, tr- they uh, of course they need you. We know that right now. They need your hand. They need your powers. So why not devise a plan? Like why are you going? Why are you falling for all these very silly like childish traps? Again, that we've already started, you've already kind of explored in, in your own series. Um, and it was just too much focus on him and then not enough focus on the the other people or at least the team aspect of it. And it really just kind of bothered me. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, one thing is, I mean, I agree that there were definitely some cheesy moments, even though they improved on the Danny Rain character. One thing that made me super grown was when he went up to Midland Circle for the first time, went into the boardroom. I was expecting him to say something like, Rain Corporation's going to pull their finances out of Midland Circle and like hurt him in a more clever financial way and just be very snarky about it. Yeah. But no, he walks in and he's like, I know you're the hand. Guess who I am? I'm the immortal Iron Fist, protector of Code Moon. Look at my mighty fist. <laughs> so he dumb. did the same bullshit that got him in trouble in Iron Fist. And, and it's he's like, like, you may not be able to tell with the tie, but listen to it. I am the immortal Iron Fist. Right? <laughs> and this is a support room. Just look at him like, Okay. Yeah. And I was I was hoping the boardroom would just be like, "What the fuck is this dude talking about?" I think, I think <laughs> well, so they could have a stylized so entrance from Alexandra, yeah, where he was given a whole "I know you're the hand," and then the leader of the hand walks up behind him. Yeah, but it's it literally been, the only purpose. But it would have been more effective because he already like he got a challenge from Luke Cage in that moment. It says, "Do things differently." because you're born from white privilege. So then he goes, he looks at the financial records, he finds more information about this, using his resources that he knows, it would have been way more impactful for you, Brylin, and for you, Blue, for those points, to go up there and talk about, and you have this huge plan, and you said, you know what, we're not going to use violence in this, I'm going to have this, I'm going to come with a bunch of my lawyers, right? He comes with two, three lawyers, they have this huge presentation about how the Rand Corporation is going to bankrupt this. We're pulling all my, all their information out, and this is what we're going to do. And then she can still have her badass entrance moment coming in and say, I know what you're doing, Iron Fist. And even his lawyers with him are a part of the hand, and everybody yeah. turns on them. And it's like, that's more impactful for you to just keep blurting out, I am the Iron Fist. We are well over, well over 13, 14 episodes at this point with the entire Iron Fist and this series for you to tell me that you still... This is now common sense. This has nothing to do with Kun Lun. It has nothing to do with the character. It's just about the, the choices. It has nothing to do with Finn Jones, right? It's what you choose the character's action to do, like their motivations and why he says the certain things. Like, this is a script. You wrote him down. You wrote that to say... And that's not effective. Um, so it's those sort of things, those type of moments are just very silly. Uh, really quick sidebar. Guys, that poison, that stick uh, put in the air, it knocked out Luke Cage for probably a day and a half. Maybe. Not too bad. Right? Just a couple, a couple hours. A couple hours. They knocked him out for a few they, minutes, and then he got knocked out again by Electra. Yeah, fair. But and then they, they were they were worried that it was going to be a couple of days, but I think it was only a couple hours. How long did it knock out? 
uh, it knocked out Danny until he's all the way in the basement of the Midland Tower, <laughs> and he just so happens to wakes up randomly. No, he was he was he was awake when they presented him. He was in and out. It, it was like in and out sort of thing because yeah. he remembered him. He remembered Electra killing um, well, Alexandra. But Luke Cage is a nice burly individual. Yeah, Danny Rand is tiny. Okay, <laughs> what about Jessica Jones and Matt Murdock in that? Because they were all in the same room with all that poison, but it didn't affect them at all. Smoke rises, and they got their ass kicked so fast that the smoke just was above them for okay. most of that duration. Oh, of that. perfect. And it affected Stick for zero seconds, so... Well, well at least with Stick, we can yeah. say that he's trained himself yeah. to, yeah. to handle that. I, and he was also he was waving his sword around, like deflecting it all yeah. over the place. I, he's I, fine. Can, I can do that. I just think that they really need, like even in like some of the opening sequences. Some, some there's a lot of scenes in which you know I understand why each and every character has to have their moment, but I don't care seeing Colleen Wing's plan to grab the explosives in the police station to look at the pictures and decipher all the. I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about the police commissioner chief who is now Misty Knight's boss, who was a different actor actress switch from the last thing, and how he's just grilling her about that's your job. It's gonna be your. I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about the side characters. At this point, if you're giving me four heroes on a screen, I really do not care about any other side characters. Truthfully, you shouldn't have to care about these side characters and going into that story. I don't care about Karen, like Karen Page. I don't care about Foggy. Like You have well, to really Warren, rein it in. Yeah. To, to be fair, I truthfully like really like them because the side characters in a lot of these make them well i mean with any main character it's a side characters who you learn about their their personal lives and who they are as people mm -hmm. and so i thought they did a really good job of managing those side characters one scene that i'd especially like to point out was um when karen page is like trying to decide like yeah i can never be with matt murdoch because he's daredevil and trish comes up to him uh, her without knowing why she's there it was just looking at a crime scene photo, and it was it was really talking. Like it was a I don't know five minute long scene talking about hey we have to accept our friends who they are because they can't be with us in the, the most normal way, but they're they're our friends and they can always support us. And so I thought again side character with a side character it one it really drove the point home of like who these people were outside of their superpowers. But two I also loved it because it showed. Um, you know, like Malcolm and Colleen Wing talking. I was like, oh yeah, this is not just a generic team up. This is the collision of four unique worlds. And I th again, I loved that aspect of it because they didn't devote too much time to it. Like Colleen Wing was was stealing the explosives, and Colleen Wing was arguably the fifth defender. You know, like she got more screen time than like every side character she probably got more screen time than alexandra did yeah um i mean i hear i hear you with that but my thing is is don't make something eight episodes cut out a fight sequence between one of the main hand members and one of the defenders but then you give me this scene which could have e been equal time here man you could have easily then substituted one scene for the next and says hey we're, this is a show that we're talking about these hand members. You literally kill off, you say hand how many times, and we only see four members this entire time. 
one is literally acting on his own, dies without any, like... That might have been a like, Simpsons hand, though. Fair. Uh, but the <laughs> the other thing is that I think I, I'm conflicted, because I agree with you. I would have absolutely loved to see Luke Cage versus, was it, how is it, Sawande? Sawande. Sawande. I've heard the end in there. Um, but I was also really excited to see how the secondary characters would interact with each other, because those characters really make the main characters who they are. And so, you know, you can have them, the main characters, butt heads, but you have a unique opportunity to have worlds collide. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean... So I'll I'll disagree with... I I mean, I can see where you're coming from. I would have loved to have seen that fight scene. That fight scene should have made it into the final cut. And I hope that even an unedited, uh, like an unprocessed version of it gets out on the DVD. Yeah. But those are choices. I would just kind of... Yeah, yeah. One is all these problems will be fixed with just a few more episodes. Um, and two, um, the, that's one of the unfortunate things about Defenders, as much as I like it, and as much as I appreciate the approach they took with the character development, um, with the Avengers, for the most part, each of the heroes that are in the Avengers are that hero by the time it gets there, and they're just on a new mission to save the world. The Defenders was the culmination of each of these characters accepting their role as legitimate superheroes um and so as a result yeah like those tertiary characters are still going to be playing a role because they haven't yet figured out that they're committing themselves to the superhero life so they still have to struggle with stupid shit like oh is karen going to be mad at me if i put on red spandex and kick bad guys in the face and things like that i mean it's fair i mean uh, i just got i was just not a fan uh, there was just too many things. Also, the, with the Jessica Jones pieces, it felt like um, I know that you probably kind of liked it. I think you talked about you liked it more, Mike. I just kind of wanted to see her do a bit more. Like it was kind of weird when the person with the superpower is known to be Luke Cage. I mean, sort of superhuman strength in in the scene is known to be Luke Cage. Like key example, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, and Luke Cage are walking down. Like. Even before that, we see Luke Cage do. Uh, I think it was something in the actual sort of uh, restaurant. And in the next like scene, like this is fast forward. I'll be at the end. We see them like Daredevil can use his superhuman ability, or sorry, his ability to kind of notice that this is a opening. Uh, there's an opening here, and he see where the elevator is, and he says, "Hey, I can need some help." You see Luke Cage pull the thing apart with his like superhuman strength, where easy fix. Just have both of them pull out one and the other. Like, there's two things you can necessarily pull. Don't... Like, they literally... Even in their fight scenes, it was Luke... Uh, Daredevil and Iron Fist fight first, and Luke Cage fighting on the side. And then you got Jessica Jones, who... I mean, she doesn't have to be a fighter, or at least teach her to do some basic moves or something. She's kind of standing around like, Ugh. Ugh. It's like, come on. Like, you at, at this point... You need to give her some self-defense. I'm glad Claire was learning self-defense, but Jessica Jones should have also been learning that same self-defense that Claire was well, doing. I don't think I don't think Kristen Ritter ever took a fight lesson in either of the seasons. The but fight? I also think that that's part of the character where she purposely does not want to be involved in any of it. And so it makes sense that she is very passive throughout all of the fight scenes and only intervenes at like opportune moments rather than just jumping in 
from the start. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fair. It, it makes that character seem stagnant because it just seems like, well, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with all these three other guys. And I have to look at it as from that point of, hey, these three guys, although they're not really protecting her, they're holding their own. And I'm just doing a, just a little bit. Because when you, if you're gonna say, yeah, I'm part of a team, or let's 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 go make bad decisions, you're gonna be you. You should then not catch an elevator, but you should also be kind of doing a bit more. And it just felt like it was very lopsided, not well, to her to, favor. To be fair, she from that scene on, she did a lot. Like she was absolutely a part of that subterranean fight scene. Like she was whooping butt. Um, in fact, she was the one that came out by herself and had that whole little like. Hey, uh, nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Like monologue, I I thought, and that again. This is why I like this character, where she had an arc. She went from not getting physical at all at the beginning because she wanted absolutely nothing to do uh, with anything, um, which was consistent with her in her solo series. And now she got a little bit of a taste of like, well, this is what it means to be a superhero. Which was Trish's like main objective, be like, hey, you should do this because you're like weirdly good at it. And then Trish literally got her a super a superhero outfit. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. She's got to put it on sometime. So those are the I mean those are just a bit of my criticisms. I I know that we talked a lot. We've been talking for a while. Um, I guess my overall sort of feelings and thought about the biggest criticisms is I just wanted to be I just didn't want. For the Iron Fist to be like the main character in this um, show, I understand that probably Daredevil, maybe, but it really felt like it, this was like a this extension of Iron Fist two, and then Daredevil was like a second Gary character, and everybody else kind of fell into place, um, and it, it, he just wasn't uh, a strong character. I mean, I understand you probably can't do it about Luke Cage. I know they try to do it about Daredevil, but Daredevil also was not using a lot of common sense of, hey man, I, I, I get it, and I, I know all that guilt that you're doing, but you're putting a lot of people in a lot of danger in a lot of scenarios, a lot of these situations where in the end he only put himself in danger, and I, and, and I, and I see what he was doing there. Um, but I just wish that it was just a, just, just, just a bit different. I, I'm not going to hear sit here bash it at all. Like We can definitely talk about things that could have been different. I think one, one of my first things was at least have a different character that um, it was a focus on. And it's either have a full, a lot more focus on Daredevil um, or have a lot more focus on uh, whether it's Elektra or even Alexandra. And much so, uh, this is my last point, of, uh, much like Brylin was talking about, I don't care if a character who is dying gets killed. That loses it, it, it loses that importance of you know what life and death are for an organization who has eternal life or had eternal life, and now to see that they don't have it anymore, she should have died by she was already dying. She was already on her way out. Madame Gao knew that, so it would have been interesting to see you know if. You know, Electra would have taken, like, if Alexander would have died by natural causes, Electra would have killed Madame Gao somehow, and then Murakami or something like that would have been killed some other way. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. He wasn't very important. But, you know, that would have been a little bit more impactful from kind of what we got, because did the elevator fall on them or not? I mean, also, that elevator took a long time to, to get down there, but whatever. I'll say two yeah, things on that. over ten stories. One, I don't think Madame Gao's dead. Um, Murakami was already impaled. He was going to go. 
Bokuto got his head cut off. So did Sawande. Um, Alexandra got, you know, pierced to the heart. She was the only one who was untouched when everything collapsed. And if Daredevil could survive that, I'm sure she can too. Um, I don't think she's she's out of the picture yet. Um, and also, my final point is, I would watch an entire eight episode series that is just Jessica Jones pushing heavy furniture nonchalantly. Because uh, every time she does in the show, it's just cool. She just goes in the background, and you see her while the two other people are talking, and she just moves some gigantic shit without a care in the world, and I loved it every time. That was cool. Yeah. That was cool. Cool? All right, guys. Well, it's uh, 3 a.m., and uh, I'm super pumped. I'm excited. And I would love to hear about what else do you do on the interwebs, but before we get to that, I want to talk about some grades. And some grades, uh, Brylan, what you got for me? Uh, so I'm going to give the Defenders an A. So much like the Avengers, uh, Marvel did a great job of taking all these individual stories and intertwining them and bring them together to one culmination. And they even go deeper than what they can possibly do with the movie. So having the ability for these characters to actually connect and build those relationships out. Uh, we now have a team that's interconnected, and I think it's going to make any subsequent individual series feel much stronger going forward. Mm-hmm. Mocha. Yeah, so I think that this film, regardless of everything, did a surprisingly good job of, again, driving those four narratives while also bringing them together for a lot of ensemble-based fun. Um, unfortunately, it did hamstring a lot of its most impactful moments um, without having more content to flesh them out and make them really worthwhile. Um, so as a result, I'll be giving this a B plus. Okay. Mr. Blue, what you got? Yo, what's happening? So uh, I thought that there was enough there. There was good enough action. Um, the intertwining of all these characters I really enjoyed. Uh, but there was enough to that was either unexplained or underexplained. Um, you pair that with the Marvel bump, because I, I just like what Marvel does, and you're going to get a B-. Uh, I felt that taken on its own, it probably would have been a very average C uh, series, but based on what we knew about everything, it gets a little bit bump up, B-. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean... Uh, my grade's going to have to be uh, probably going to be a C plus for this. I was also looking at a C. Um, I like changing or at least kind of hearing some of these things that I may potentially have missed. I didn't know Misty Knight's going to have a robot arm, maybe an Iron Man arm. Um, so I didn't know that. I didn't know like the because I'm also like in the dark. I'm not a comic book fan. So I do have a, a bit more appreciation for it. Um, but I just think that they focus on a character who's they haven't they need to change a little bit to make it a bit more entertaining and a little bit interesting to watch instead of being so whiny um, and being like, why me, why me sort of thing. And that was just with the iron fist and a lot. Uh, and the, the focus on just certain things just didn't work for me um, for right now. So it's kind of a bummer. I like it better than iron fist, you know, so that's, that's still like kind of back there, but I don't think, you know, for me to grade it a B or B plus and even higher, that's something along the lines of like the daredevil and the Luke cage, um, sort of realm, um, and I, I don't think it was uh, quite there. Although I did enjoy a lot of the scenes with them, I just needed more of that. So, this is me. Yeah, they should have introduced the Master of Kung Fu and just made it even more confusing. <laughs> I see that <laughs> confused me because I, I didn't even know. 
All right. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Bradley, where can we find more of your work? Uh, you can find me channeling my chi into a random assortment of tweets on Twitter at Bryland, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Uh, you can also check out my many movie reviews on Instagram, I am Bryland. I've done, recently did one about The Founder, which is a really amazing movie. Definitely watch that. And uh, we have a new uh, Twitch channel, so we're doing game casting now. So uh, we're going to, every week, take about four hours and play some video games. Right now, we're playing through Life is Strange, which is an adventure game about precocious uh, teenage girls uh, talking a lot of hipster jargon along the way. Uh, and you can find us at twitch.tv slash downthefrontpodcast. Nice. Cool. And thanks so much for having you on. Um, always love to see your face. Mocha, where can I find more of your work? Yeah, you can find me tweeting about my black sky blue balls um, on Twitter at MochaMikeLI, as the Lord intended. Um, unfortunately, you cannot find me at MochaMike. Uh, because the person who has that Twitter handle is a centuries-old sin against God who spends all of his time sucking the bone marrow out of endangered animals instead of tweeting with that fucking username. So yeah, Mocha Mike L.I. <laughs> you can also see my photography on Instagram, at Mocha Mike, and read uh, some more of my thoughts about this movie and many of the others that we've talked about here on Down in Front. And Medium, that's Medium, backslash, at Mocha Mike. Okay, I'm sorry. Blue it. I'm sorry. Blue it. The Shredder. Where can we find more of your work? And some shows you have coming out. Uh, yeah. So if you like terrible music, you can check us out. Uh, we're playing on Saturday. We're also playing in uh, September, first week of September, uh, on a Tuesday, I believe, because uh, the club is mediocre on a Tuesday. Um, and if you want, you can reach out to us at. Uh, facebook.com slash minus band or minus music it's like literally all of our social media is just one of those two um, if you want to reach out to me personally for any sort of tarot card reading you can reach out to me at jesse rand needs an iron fisting uh, at <laughs> gmail.com <laughs> Thank you. Thank I was you, gonna bro. say the unbreakable Jesse uh, Cage, but you know, mm-hmm. I didn't think I like thinking, that one as much. I was thinking more along the lines of uh, Jesse Rand, the immortal Saki fist. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will bid you farewell. Uh, thank you so much. You can find a bunch of our work. We're going to be on Apple Podcasts as well as uh, Stitcher. Uh, if you do, check us out on iTunes as well. Please feel free to rate us. As um, It's going to be Down in Front Podcast. Please go and search us um, and rate us. That will be great. Put in a comment. Uh, I guess for this week, talk about uh, what is your favorite wine to drink on a hot day. That would be pretty cool. That would be a nice comment to do um, for this week. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be on Facebook. So facebook.com slash downtofrontpodcast as well as an email. Our email address is a, um, is a Gmail account. So downtofrontpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube and we really would love like more subscribers so that we can actually go and get out there, get more of our content out there, talk about more Twitch and live reactions and as much things as we can as possible. So we're definitely going to be posting our YouTube link in the actual show notes. Um, we also have a Twitter. So Twitter is uh, underscore JFP. 
so that's at, at the underscore John and Front Podcast. That's what that stands for as well. And then we also going to be talking about our Patreon, and that's going to be extremely awesome because we just got an amazing, awesome sort of donation from Miss Jackson, my mom alone. So thank you so much, Ma, for giving us another uh, sort of donation for that. Uh, just for yeah, I know that was awesome. Yeah, you saw that. Uh, just for one dollar, patreoncom front podcast or patreoncom front one dollar helps us go a long way, and we definitely thoroughly appreciate it. We're trying to do more interviews, more guests. I'm going to be traveling this weekend, so I'm definitely going to have another guest on the show who's going to be his first podcast. Um, so definitely thanks so much for everybody for hanging out with us and uh, chatting about The Defenders. It's going to be on Netflix, and we will bid you farewell and say we love you all. Thank you so much, and have a good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.